like no matter how like cool the job is or how how much you get out of it for whatever reason whether it's stability or just you like the job and the people you work with if it's not the right fit if it's if it's holding you back from something that you'd rather be doing that you feel you should be doing instead eventually you're going to hit a wall with it Hello, magic makers. Kelsey Foremost here. I am the host of Find Your Magic, the podcast where entrepreneurship and mental health meet. I am thrilled to introduce you to one of my oldest friends today. I am speaking with playwright, dramaturg, and Brooklyn-based theater teacher, Stephen Galtney today. I went to college with Stephen. We both went to Davidson College in North Carolina. Yes, we went to school with Steph Curry. That is a fun, a fun fact, a fun claim to fame. Um, I used to sing the national anthem for the basketball games. Little did I know I was on the court with a legend. I digress. Stephen and I met at Davidson. We were both theater majors, and he was just one of the most genuine people that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And I wanted to bring him on the podcast for a couple of reasons. One, he's got some really exciting news that I want to spread the word about. And two, I think that he is such an incredible example for people of how to make your life support the work you want to do. Um, so he's a playwright. He mostly that's like where he centers his work is he writes plays. This conversation really kind of made me eat a slice of humble pie, to be honest with you, because Stephen had a moment where he realized that A, he was getting burnt out at his old job, but B, that he was kind of hanging on to an old job for the prestige of it. And it wasn't allowing him the time, the space, or the energy to spend on what he actually wants to do, which is write plays. And so he bravely quit a job that he had a lot of stability and security in that he'd had, I think, for 10 years, he said. And he quit that job so that he could restructure his life in such a way where he let go of the preciousness of needing a job or a title that sounded prestigious in favor of work that could just pay him money to support his life so that he could work on his art. And that is a really risky, hard, big decision. And I want you guys to hear from someone who is walking that walk and what that process was like. And what's really beautiful about it is that resulted in the reason that I'm bringing him on this week. Um, I actually rushed the editing of this episode because... As soon as he really started to open his life up, lo and behold, he reconnected with a theater company that he used to work for called Theater of Others, and he is, once again, the resident playwright and dramaturg for that theater company. And during the pandemic, they came together, they started writing plays again, they started um, performing via Zoom, and long story short, they have a play called Bright Light Burning that is premiering the first two weeks of December 
at COP28. If you don't know what COP28 is, it is a big freaking deal. It is a climate change conference put on by the United Freaking Nations. It's in Dubai this year, and Stephen's company is raising money to be able to get there, be able to actually produce these plays. They need our support. I am putting their GoFundMe link in the show notes. If you can give whatever you can, please consider doing so. I know for myself, donating directly to somebody where I know my dollars are genuinely going to help that person, there's like no better feeling in the world. And subsequently, it really inspires me to do my own creative work. So if you want some warm and fuzzies, consider donating to that campaign. And in the meantime, enjoy this incredible conversation with Stephen. Um, His plays include adaptations of numerous Greek tragedies, original plays set in post-apocalyptic futures. He's just so freaking smart. He has his MFA from Columbia, and I really looked up to him at Davidson because at Davidson and beyond, because as I said, he has done such an amazing job, like not letting anything get in the way of him pursuing his art. Such a beautiful, beautiful thing. With that, please welcome my dear friend, Stephen Galtney. My dear friend, Stephen, it is so, Hello. so wonderful. Such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and just like to talk to you. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, as soon as I saw that post that you put up on Instagram about COP28 and I mean, climate change, obviously huge social justice issue, um, like keeps many of us awake at night. And I love that you are using your unique gift of playwriting Mm. to address what feels like a big, scary political issue. Yes. And it is. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But I, I think that that's so beautiful and important. I immediately wanted to have you on here to talk about just that in and of itself, but the, I think so many of us hold back from contributing to causes that we really believe in because we don't mm-hmm. think that, um, our, our gift or our art or whatever is going to make much of a difference or like, yeah. And maybe I'm putting words, maybe I'm speaking just in my own head, but yeah, like what an amazing opportunity to use your gift to contribute to a bigger movement. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is something that uh, I and kind of the other people on the creative team talked about a lot because we got invited to to be part of the cultural component of COP28, which this year is in Dubai. It's a yearly uh, climate conference put on by, I mean, it's UN, it's a UN climate conference. And, you know, like kind of a big deal. So it's going to be know, cool. It's going to it's, it's going to be a fun time. Nations, like, yeah, that's whatever. all. That's all. No one important is going to be there. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, the the prompt was vague. It was just you know, adaptation is the theme of the cultural component this year. Um, so it needed to be about climate change and adaptation. And when I heard that, what you're talking about was my first reaction of just like. I kind of cringe at, you know, art sometimes that like feels 
that you get a sense that the creatives think that they're changing the world with their piece, mm-hmm. not to be kind of like there's down ego. on them. There's yeah. ego yeah. and, 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 and not to be cynical is the word I was, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about, but there are limitations to what like a play or a story or a poem or a song can do. Cause it's mm-hmm. just one little piece. So it, it was, has been something that we've really thought about the whole time of just trying to create a piece that, you know, and and know what the goals are, that it's going to open people up to think a different way, Mm -hmm. that it's going to be a valuable piece of a climate conference that also involves politicians and policymakers and people presenting position papers. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there are scientists and and we're a part of that. We're not we're not the key where you're, we're one little like, you know, grain yeah. of sand on a beach, uh, but that's important. So It is yeah. important. And I love that you highlighted thinking about the goal of the piece, mm. right? Yeah. Like the goal isn't necessarily to combat climate change, right? The goal no. is to make people think differently. Yes. And that's yes. so beautiful. Um, and there's a ripple effect mm-hmm. that happens mm-hmm. with that. No matter what someone's art is or what someone's work is, especially if you're listening to this, chances are your art and your work overlap, (laughs) (laughs) which is in and of itself, its own kettle of fish. Mm. Um, But there is a ripple effect that happens when the goal is a goal that is of service Mm -hmm. and when it like affects even just one person and that person starts thinking differently or acting differently, I always measure art by how long afterwards I think about it. So let's back up a little bit and talk sure, about sure. your company because yes, um, you guys, have you worked together a bunch before? Are you like a collective? Is this something new for you? Like, tell me about the company. So the company is called the theater of others. Um, we, uh, we formed in 2000, I want to say 2011 was when the two co-artistic directors decided to found the company. They brought me on to write their first piece, uh, which was a one-man show. The two co-founders, one's a director, one's an actor. They're like, start simple. We're going to bring in Stephen to be a playwright. I'm going to write a one-man show for this actor. They were living in Singapore at the time. So they brought me over to Singapore uh, for this play. Not long after, they did a a few other productions, but then we kind of lost track of each other for a little bit. Mm. Um, They both moved away from Singapore. You know, it's hard to have a theater company when everyone's all over the world. And then the pandemic happened and the two of them were one of my like weekly Zoom calls of people Mm. who I was talking to just to stay sane. And one of them was like, so we're making a play, right? When we realized Mm. we were, you know, in our homes forever. Um, so we, we, we did the thing we, we did the zoom play that, you know, everyone was doing and we, uh, we expanded the company over the course of doing that. Um, and now we've had audio, an audio play festival three years in a row, which, you know, kind of fits with everyone being geographically dispersed. And, uh, now we are about to do uh, our first live production since kind of reforming over the pandemic. And it's, it's a wild process because we literally have every single actor is from a different country. Mm. There are five people in the cast. We've got someone from the U.S., India, Indonesia, Malaysia, 
Singapore. Um, so, so yeah, we're going to be coming from all our respective locations, converging in wow. Dubai. We've rehearsed it online as much as we can. Um, we're going to have to put it together, you know, in person. I love that. Um, but yeah, it is a theater company uh, that is really uh, always kind of been devoted to these issues of, you know, you know, really tackling the large societal uh, challenges that we face. So this was a really natural fit for us uh, mm-hmm. to go to this, you know, UN climate conference, um, a certain, certainly a challenge, but a good fit. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to segue into something that you and I were talking about before we hit record, which was sure. you making the decision during the pandemic to recenter your life around your writing. Mm-hmm. So let's take a moment to talk about your personal journey, sure. which so we went to Davidson together. We went to college we together. We were nerdy theater majors. And <laughs> I slept on a leaky air mattress on your floor in New York City more than once before I graduated. <laughs> you did, yes. <laughs> which I remember. We had the memory. We tried to patch it with acrylic paint. Like what? Oh, gosh. Paint? I totally forgot about that. <laughs> oh, we were helpless little babies. We were helpless little <laughs> And we were like so broke and so <laughs> happy. I mean, just the energy of New York City. And I just thought you were the coolest. You were getting your oh. MFA from Columbia. And like, you were a serious artist, you know? Oh. And like an inspiration through the years, though, because you have persisted in this dream, but you have also had many seasons within that pursuit. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about the pandemic and your decision surrounding work and art and how to stay sane when your work is your art or when like other work starts to encroach on the real work, which is your art. Yes. Yes. I, um, so yeah, I've been in New York since 2007 I moved here for my MFA at Columbia, as you mentioned, uh, and then you finish an MFA program and you're in New York City and you're like, okay, how do I live? How do I pay? Uh, for how do I pay for my rent? <laughs> uh, um, and I ended up at a job at a theater that I, I it's an off-Broadway theater. Um, it's called a theater for a new audience. I love the theater. Um, it's one of my favorite uh, places in New York. So I felt really privileged to be working there. Um, I worked there for nine years. Um, it was a full-time job. It wasn't a creative job though. It was an administrative job. And there, you know, there is some fulfillment that comes with like, you know, every day you go to work and you're exposed to the world that you want to be, uh, working in, but, you know, full-time theater jobs become more than full-time Mm-hmm. often to be honest you know it, yeah. it becomes the way I I started putting it is it, it's what I think about every morning when I'm in the shower mm-hmm. it, it's what is in my brain making that job and doing the best that I can at that job is what I think about when I'm alone with my thoughts mm-hmm. um, and over the pandemic the realization you know when we were you know for a time furloughed there was no theater um, yeah there was no theater um, and with you know theater of others I started like suddenly like making a play and being able to spend whole days at a time writing, which is a privilege who knows if I'll ever have again. Um, I I realized that that however much, you know, I liked that job in terms of like a job, Mm 
Mm-hmm. The reason I'm living in New York, my specific skill that like only I can do mm-hmm. as opposed to another job that's fun, but other people can do yeah, um, is writing specifically the type of place that I'm writing. So I made a decision over the pandemic to refocus my life around the writing rather than doing what I had been doing, which is writing very late at night if I was able to stay awake and like during mm. PTO, like all of my PTO over the course of this full-time job would be going to places and sitting in cafes and writing because yeah. like that was the only time I could do it. So I decided over the pandemic, I would leave. And I, I said, I, I'm going to leave after a year because I wanted to jump in and help that theater mm-hmm. get back on its feet. I left a year later, which is a year ago mm-hmm. um, from now. And now I'm I'm doing the thing that I think a lot of people started doing in their mid twenties. I'm just in my late thirties and oh, I'm doing yeah. it, which is a bunch of like random jobs that don't really fit together, but they fit for me in that they, I'm able to do them on my timetable. And now basically I'm able to protect these hours every day to write. Yes. I'm able to think about my writing yeah. in the shower yeah. uh, when, I, when I'm alone with my thoughts. Um, and I'm able to, you know, open up that specific work email when I want to. I don't Mm. have to like wake up, check work email. So that's, that's been the shift and it's been really, really rewarding Mm because even weeks where I'm like, I'm working more hours even than I was when it was full time. um, I've still been able to protect those writing hours, um, which is the reason for I was about to say the reason for the season, but this isn't about Christmas. Uh, it's the reason for <laughs> well, living in New York. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah. but uh, honestly, a wonderful Freudian slip. You are in a mm. season, right? Like, sure. When you think about <laughs> think about season instead of like seasons of the uh, weather, maybe let's think about mm. seasons of television, right? Like you yeah. think about a character who had, let's think about Fraser Crane. Because that's what I watched last <laughs> sure. night, and I'm in a Frasier. <laughs> I'm in a Frasier uh, mode. It's my favorite sitcom mm. of all time. Point being, you can have the same character, the same life, the same person. Mm. Let's say the same main character. We're going to bring in main character energy. Sure. Main character of Stephen, <laughs> and Stephen has had, you know, fifteen seasons. The, yeah. the show the show of Steven's life has had 15 seasons and this is the one that you're in right now and your character yeah. is experiencing this like awakening that the things that you do for money don't have to have artistic value yeah <laughs> like yeah what a concept it's amazing yeah. and I think that there is a and uh, speaking for myself mm. uh a failure uh like not good enough uh, ticker tape that starts to play mm-hmm. if I'm doing things for money that I don't feel have artistic value because I grew up wanting to be in the arts and mm-hmm. I thought if I'm not making money in the arts then that means I'm not a successful artist sure, sure. but that's not the case the only thing you need to be a successful artist is art is to make the art is to yeah. make the fucking art that's yeah. it yeah. It turns out. <laughs> Which is liberating, right? Liberating like, yeah. and terrifying because then yes. you don't have an excuse. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I've, I've taken all these measures to protect, you know, this hour to this hour every day. And then this hour to this hour comes and it's like, okay, I guess I need to write now. I've restructured my whole life around this. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I don't think it's an accident that you making the choice to protect that time and that energy. Mm 
was like that vacuum. You had to create a vacuum to mm-hmm. fill it with something new. And I don't yes. think it's an accident that this play and this opportunity with mm. the United Freaking Nations Climate Change Conference that like you've been able to like the dominoes just fell how beautiful is that it's something i absolutely would not have been able to do if i were still working a full-time job yes exactly it but yeah Yeah. but now i'm doing it so and it's so scary to create that vacuum i mean i'm sure you had more than a few days where you felt some anxiety about leaving and that stability a hundred percent. It's a job I had been at for again almost a decade. Yeah. Um, so that's just a long time for any job. Yeah. Um, and it was a very sudden. I mean, the enormity of the vacuum those first weeks after I left. I mean, they always tell you to have things lined up before you leave, but I just couldn't figure out the time. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's a suddenly your phone stops dinging. Um, it felt like I was in a forest or something. Yeah. Uh, away from cell service. So. It's scary. It's scary to take that leap, but it's really scary. Yeah. And I also want to acknowledge that sometimes those leaps are forced. Like I had mm. a really cushy job in tech where I was a content director at a tech company for three and a half years, which funded my mm. ability to do my own writing and sure. um also still have like my copywriting, uh, where I was able to help people for a lower rate because I was being supported Mm. by this tech company, uh, on this contract. And I held on because I was so afraid to lose the quote unquote stability of that, but I burnt out so hard that it took three months before I could even open my computer again. Like mm. from October to January, I did not open my computer. I could not physically bring myself to do it. Yeah. And so what's really amazing is like we need to realize that that is normal and natural, like to have that sort of wintering hybrid seasons again, yeah. wintering hibernation <laughs> period. Mm before we can start to plant the things that are going to grow in the next season. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Really hammering this metaphor home. Yeah, no. And and I think you can, (laughs) I mean, I didn't get to that place with that job, but like, eventually it's going to happen. Like no matter how like cool the job is or how, how much you get out of it for whatever reason, whether it's stability or just you like the job and the people you work with, if it's not the right fit, Mm-hmm. If it's if it's holding you back from something that you'd rather be doing yeah. and you feel you should be doing instead, eventually you're going to hit a wall with it. Um, and, you know, sometimes you get the privilege of recognizing that before you hit the wall and yes. sometimes you hit the wall, but uh, it's the same wall. So it's good to know that now I'm just having a new metaphor. It's good to yeah. know that the wall is there. It's Get good out your to binoculars. know the wall's coming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead of running around with a blindfold, pretending yes. that there's no wall. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. So now we're up to speed. Mm. We have this play. We have this amazing cast of international people of mystery. We are descending upon Dubai when is the conference happening and what are you doing in the meantime? Because I want people to be able to support you on this yes. journey 
because I know that there are wonderful, warm-hearted artists and patrons who will be so excited to hear that they can actually support this journey. Yes, they can. So it is December the 2nd through the 12th um, is when we will be there. 2nd through the 13th. 3rd through the... It's somewhere around. Somewhere <laughs> I'm mixing, there. I'm mixing up my plane, my flight dates with the dates of the actual conference, but it is mm-hmm. the first two weeks of December. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, are still kind of rehearsing a little bit online, but we will get there and put it all together in person. We are performing right now at five different venues. So e- wow. at each venue, we're performing one time. Uh, so we're jumping around Dubai between places directly affiliated with COP28 and then also like at like, you know, universities and, you know, kind of more indirect affiliations. So part of Did what I'm doing. Did we say the name of the play yet? Oh, probably not. <laughs> it's it's called Bright Light Burning is the Bright name of the play. Bright Light Burning is the name Bright of the Light play. Bright Light Burning. Great. Should I give a like a little, yeah, little give couple us sentence summary yeah, of the play? Give us yeah, the pitch. Uh, so the pitch is, so it, it casts the audience as migrants in the year 2100. Uh, climate refugees, basically. And whatever space we are in, whether it is, I mean, these spaces range from like a very small 50 person like pavilion Mm -hmm. in the heart of COP28 to like a very large theater at a school with for like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, whatever space that is, is where the, you know, where the migrants are. It is a site specific piece. Mm. Um, the actors will be amongst the audience. Um, and this is uh, so, cool. <laughs> so the idea of the play is something's gone wrong. Uh, the road is blocked to the next stage of their journey. Everyone's going to new cities closer to uh, the poles um, because they're, they're cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we wait for, you know, the road to clear, you know, the actors are, you know, expressing frustration and stress and fear because of what's happening. And uh, little by little, people start sharing. Um, the artists start sharing. Um, one one has a poem, one has a little play, one has a song, one has just a story. Um, so it becomes a, a different performers using art to kind of deal with this crisis and yeah. then evolves into a discussion of the purpose of art in the face of these large crises. So, so it works in that, like, you know, we're in these five different spaces, but it doesn't matter where we are. Um, We're just going to walk in with each actor has a suitcase because they're migrants. We uh, make these productions sustainably. Um, That's kind of a part of the mission. (laughs) So we're not, we don't, it's about climate change. (laughs) Uh, So we don't have to like focus lights or anything. We're just using, you know, the, you know, as ambient light as much as possible, or just, you know, whatever lights are already in the room. Um, we're not using any amplification in terms of sound. Um, so, so it works that we can just kind of go in and perform it, but I am right now slightly adapting the play to each specific space to make it, you know, work for the various spaces. So that's part of my project right now, but yes, the audience can support. We have a GoFundMe. And I think what's really cool is we are going to be uh, streaming one uh, performance. Oh, that's I don't know. Great I don't know news. if the time will work for people, but certainly if they donate, we will let them know. Uh, you know when it's streaming. We're also recording, so okay. 
please do not feel if you want to support this project that you're, you know, kind of throwing it into a void. You're not going to get to see what happens. We will be able to share the experience with you, which is, mm. I think, really exciting. That's extremely um, exciting. So. I didn't know that. Yeah. I want to yeah. see it. What I'm pumped, cool I'm pumped to share it. Yeah. So oh, it's cool. going to be a so lot of You're so good, Galtney. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah, Gosh. Very exciting. This is so exciting. I'm just so happy that th- this couldn't have happened to a better human. And I really hope everybody listening donates and supports. And uh, is there like a social media for theater of others that people can yes. follow? Absolutely. So it is, I believe it's just, I should, I should know this off the top of my head, but I think it's just, you can go to theaterofothers.com. Right. Um, others to plural, right? Others plural theater Great. with an R E. Um, and I believe the Instagram is theater of others underscore. Okay. Um, I'll put so. it in the show notes um, there you go. so that you guys can just click on it, look it up and give it a follow, see what they're up to, because I am certain this is going to be this is the resurgence, but I'm sure that there's going to be more coming in the next. We will continue months. for yes. sure. For sure. Um, there's also a podcast that the two co-artistic directors have Wonderful. Um, that they do every week. I think they have like almost 200 episodes. They've been going since the beginning of the pandemic. It's Good massive. For them. Um, so if people want to just kind of like listen in, uh, I'm on it like every once in a while um just just to hear like you know what the ideas of the company are there's that very easy wow. point of entrance as well so and what is their podcast called it's called the theater of others podcast great simple. y'all keep it simple yeah. <laughs> it's very simple <laughs> and again it's the british spelling of theater t h that is correct yeah t r e not e r yes r e great r e yeah man what a delight what a delight I'm so excited for you. This is going to be, I I can't wait to see what happens and hear about what happens. What an incredible convergence of art and social justice and work and just everything about it makes me smile. Oh, well, thank you. Your 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 smile makes me smile. That's exciting. Ah, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, this has been another episode of Find Your Magic. All of the links to support the theater of others and Bright Light Burning, their new play happening at COP28 this December is all in the show notes below. And I will be sharing those links on social media as well. So get to it, donate, let us know, connect with us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. All right, y'all know I'm about to ask you to subscribe to Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you found us today. It truly helps podcasters pay their teams, find better guests, and give you good content. So if you want to hear more conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship, be sure to subscribe to Find Your Magic and leave us a review. Thanks for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.